So is this a question about thinking? How to deal with thinking? Because we're, that's one of the great delusions is, is our ability to think. We can create all kinds of images and problems and anticipations about the future, regrets about, regrets about the past, without pretended memories. So we, we've got to remember the past. Worry about the future. Hope of, that everything goes well. And fear that everything will go wrong. And what will happen to me when I'm old? That's what, what I think. What happens to old monks? <laughs> and uh, will you still need me? Will you still feed me? And the thinking process you know, reflecting on it, it is acquired after you're born. You aren't born thinking any language. So, you know, we have international sangha, so the language, the kind of first languages are acquired. And that's a reflection, it's the way it is. And yet we, we create a world with our thoughts, a, a self-identity, we identify with with what we look like, the physical body. We think, we, that's a thought, isn't it? I am this physical body. I'm, this body is me. I'm thinking now. I'm a man. The gender is a thought. So you identify with the gender of the body, whether it's male or female, black or white, whether they're attractive or unattractive, and so forth. So we we create this this world of self and self views, and the world as a as something separate from me. If I see myself as a as a physical body, as a separate person, that's my identity. Then you're all objects at this moment. You're objects to me. So we, and then that creates a sense of. You know, I'm separate from you. I don't know, you know, whether you're friends or enemies. I assume you're all friends. And one of the things about monastic life is, you know, you're not, you, you take for granted the kind of moral principles of people when they come to monasteries. But ordinarily, you know, you go into the world, into London or Bangkok and you don't know what's going to happen, what kind of dangers arise, and it's all, you know, potential loss of life or injury, getting sick. We worry about illness, old age, death, and it's all about thinking. And uh, of course we think, we we have insights of how do we stop thinking? How do we deal with thinking? And you ask yourself the question, you know, you're aware you're thinking. You know you're, you're, whatever you're thinking at this moment, you're aware that you're thinking. And that awareness, awareness is not a thought. 
and thoughts don't think. You think thoughts. So, you know, when we attach to thoughts and thinking and, identi- and habitual identities, then we're bound into the mortal realm, birth and death and fear and desire. <clears throat> and, and we're limited. That's what the first noble truth of suffering is about. The Buddha used suffering, this common human, ordinary experience that every human being has as a noble truth. So this is a skillful, like the Buddha was very skillful with words, with his thoughts, because that's how we, you know, we, when he was enlightened, according to the scriptures, he the thought, the thought came to him, how can you teach Dhamma when it's, not, it's non-verbal? Dhamma doesn't have a language. It's beyond language. How can you describe Dhamma with words? They truth or you use abstractions, ultimate reality. But you can't, you know, that does that really define it? It just gives a kind of, uh, maybe a, hint of what it's about. But Dhamma is here and now. It's, it's, so it's not about some, something that you don't have that's not present that you've got to find. But it's through this awareness, mindfulness, that we realize Dhamma. And like you, you're aware that you're thinking. Awareness isn't a thought. So you begin to to investigate this ability to just be aware. The thinking can be sensible, reasonable, logical, intelligent. It can be utter nonsense, rubbish. It can be madness. You know, but awareness of the thoughts is is mindfulness letting go of thoughts doesn't mean you stop thinking but you're aware of thoughts as they arise and cease so that's why there's so much in you know in these reflections I'm giving I'm repeating myself endlessly <laughs> because you know the whole the whole uh, essence is uh, the whole the heart of this. This is the mindfulness. And then, you know, when we think about it, we think, I'm not very, you might think you're not very mindful. You've got to cultivate mindfulness. And I remember learning the Burmese method was the first method I learned where at Wat Mahatat before I ordained where you do all this slow motion walking and you're lifting lifting, stretching stretching and everything is slowed down to, to incredible slow motion and so I thought that was mindfulness to be mindful of slow motion, you couldn't be mindful if you're just walking normally so you had to do this, you know, this very precise noting of movement 
of the of your feet when you're walking, of sitting, standing, walking, lying down. So you get the idea that mindfulness is you're not mindful otherwise. Like walking normally is you're not mindful. You've got to do a technique of mindfulness. But mindfulness, if you you know, you're mindful all the time. You're aware of you know your emotions, you're aware of your feelings in the present moment, you're aware of pleasure, physical pleasure, physical pain. You can be aware of neutral feeling, aware of, you're aware when you remember things from the past, you're aware when you're uh, planning for the future. So, Awareness is what we really are, it's consciousness. But the, the delusions that we create in consciousness are the thoughts, identity with the emotions, with the feelings, with the senses, with principles, with standards, with nationality, with political views, with racial views. So, you know, the world is the way it is because it's, it, we have, you know, it's not that it's lacking mindfulness, but the mindfulness is not informed with wisdom. It's survival. You have to, consciousness means we're mindful. So meditation, in the Buddhist sense of the word, means investigating. Like vipassana, the word vipassana is insight, to to gain insight into reality, to wake up to reality. A Buddhist group in Singapore asked me for a slogan a few years ago for their the Buddha Dhamma Foundation in Singapore, awaken, awake to reality, awaken to reality. So Dhamma is reality. You know, if you're going to find one English word that probably is useful for the definition of Dhamma, reality, and that's here and now. It's not something that you you're going to find somewhere else. But the reality of a self, a separate self, that's, that's not, that's a, that's not real. That's the illusions that you create. The reality of feeling and the way you identify with physical pleasure, physical pain, or emotional happiness or misery, this is all created with thought. Just thinking, I am this physical body. So then, if I, if I operate from that, you know, without my, without wisdom, without looking inward, if I actually believe I am this physical body as the ultimate reality, when we start investigating with mindfulness and wisdom, 
the physical body is the way it is, so right now it's like this. I'm aware. There's awareness of the sitting. I'm sitting in this chair talking to you. I know what I'm doing. But if I operate from the sense that I'm am in, in ultimate reality, I'm separate. I'm Ajahn Sumedho as an ultimate position I take. And what am I saying? I'm a mortal form. I'm bound into the aging process of the of this physical body. It's me. I'm getting old. And I, you know, then I identify with being, uh, you know, American nationality. I haven't lived in America for over 50 years. <laughs> but that's what I grew up with, with this, with, you know, with the cultural conditioning. I was brought up as a Christian, an Anglican, Episcopalian in America. So that that's uh, another identity. And then I become a Buddhist. Later on, my mother says, you'll always be a Christian because you were baptized. And so that, you know, then, you, you know, if I believe what my mother said, because <laughs> I was baptized when I was an infant, I didn't have any choice in the matter, where I chose Buddhism as an adult. But how many, how many can, perceptions do we believe, you know, and see ourselves and limit ourselves by the, by holding on to beliefs that, that I am ultimately this physical body, this personality, this type, my astrological sign, my nationality. We see ourselves, we create a, a persona through thinking. Through remembering, you're living in in a in the Western society, like in the United States, very competitive society. So it's the United States is based on ideals of equality and democracy, freedom, freedom of speech, human rights. It's all the the very best, you know. So you 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 create you. you you have these ideals as part of your cultural experience. But when you see, grow up and you see that they're ideals, that's not the, really the way it is. Because in school, in sports, and everything, it's about competition. Who's better than who? Who's a winner? Who's a loser? Who's right and who's wrong? So, you know, and, and the Buddha pointed to the, the conditioned realm, not condemning or judging, but, but, but pointing to the characteristics that are common to all conditions, personal views, prejudices, biases, what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, perception itself, sensory, experiences, emotional experiences, all conditions, all sankharas are impermanent. 
Let's, that's not a doctrinal statement. You know, the Buddha isn't propounding, forcing this doctrine on us, but it's, what is the encouragement to reflect on impermanence, observe it. Because as a person, you know, as a person, I believed I was the person when I was born, the same person I, I, I was when I was five years old, and I was the same person when I was 15 years old, when I was 30. Now I'm 84, I'm the same person. I have a, I have a birth certificate. So the assuming that, that the person <clears throat> that I believe I am is, is, was born, grows up, gets old, and eventually dies. But what is not mortal, what is permanent, is not a thing, not a condition, not a sankara, but it's awareness, conscious awareness. Now this is, I don't expect you to believe this, but it's like to stimulate interest in what, you know, to investigate this in your own experience. Like the thinking process. If you believe your thoughts are yours, and then you judge them in terms of good thoughts, bad thoughts, fair thoughts, selfish thoughts, you know, then we see ourselves in terms of qualities of good and bad, right and wrong, true and false. So, you know, when you see yourself always in this very judgmental way, because the thinking process is very purpose is to discriminate. It's not about fairness and equality. It's about discrimination. This is bigger than that. This is right. This is wrong. So all languages are based on this principle of a kind of dualistic division. If you've got heaven, you've got to have hell, male, female, day and night. The whole sangsaric creation, all the conditioned phenomena have their opposites. They have the best and the worst. So like democracy, freedom, human rights, equality are all the best you can think of, how things should be. But right now, This moment isn't an ideal. This is a feeling, conscious moment, and it is the way it is. So you're, you're, ref- you're opening to the present moment. It's like this. And so you're, you know, in, in Vipassana meditation, you're, you're observing. The breath is like this. The posture, sitting is like this. Most obvious realities, experiences that you're, that you're having, you, you can be totally unaware of. Never notice the way it is, but be planning your future or regretting your past. But what doesn't plan for the future and regret the past 
and is impersonal is consciousness. So, you know, I, during this time here at Amarbhati, I'm repeating myself over and over, but they, it's, a, it's an important shift I'm suggesting. Shift from seeing consciousness as impermanent and is kind of contained within the human body. That's how we tend to, modern society tends to perceive consciousness is, is inside the body. But in Buddha, Buddhist terms, in Dhamma, you know, consciousness has no boundary. It's not limited by form, by any form whatsoever. It's one of the, what they call the immeasurables. Consciousness here and now has no shape, no form. You can't see it, hear it, smell it, taste it, touch it, feel it as an object. So the, the bodies are in consciousness. So consciousness is the unitive reality of this moment. It's the same consciousness. And this is like when you shift from seeing yourself in this very separate way, as a separate form in a, in a vast universe, to seeing the universe is, is a conscious, consciousness itself. The sun, moon, stars, the planet, you and me are in consciousness. Thinking arises and ceases in consciousness. Feeling, emotion, or habits arise and cease in consciousness. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching arise and cease in consciousness. So, you see, this is a way of respecting nature itself. We talk about climate change and overpopulation and and all kinds of fearful perceptions, you know, are commonly believed in at this time. End of the world, Armageddon, wars, Disasters, droughts, famines, fires, earthquakes. You know, we had a huge earthquake in Alaska the other yesterday. But all these are in consciousness. So we began to, to not be caught up with the Beliefs we have, the prejudices, the cultural biases, the political views, the, the personal identities, they're relative to situations, they're, they're conventions that we use, like the language itself. English language is a convention. It's sankara. And then to repeat that you're aware of when you're thinking, but you tend to Believe that the thoughts are yours. Conscious is yours. Consciousness is yours. The thoughts are you. They're your thoughts. 
And when you do that, what happens? You create fear, anxiety, self-consciousness, guilt and remorse, self-disparagement. If you, you know, if you're turning your critical faculties towards yourself, or we just criticize everything externally, everybody else is wrong. You know, the, Suffering is caused from outside, I'm right, but we project wrongness and evil as something external caused by out forces separate from ourselves. Or we can believe that there's evil, you know, there's a, uh, an evil thing inside me. That's a thought, isn't it? That's not the way it is. You know, there's, there's a kind of evil force inside me. That's a thought, but it's not the way it is. Is evil kind of permanent? Is there a, a Mara, a kind of permanent entity in the universe? Some kind of evil force that we have to be aware of. That's generally how we, you know, what how Christianity comes across. God is good and Satan is bad. God is permanent and and Satan also. So, I mean, these are thoughts that we we empower with with beliefs, (laughs) with attachments, or we reject them. We can become atheists and say, there isn't any God, there isn't any devils. It's all superstition. Just reason and logic is the way to live. Just be reasonable, sensible, intelligent. And that's, you know, very much what we aspire to be. We want to be reasonable, sensible, practical, good people. But what is aware of when you think of yourself as a good person or a bad person? Good and bad arise and cease in consciousness. You're aware of it when you think good. The word itself isn't good. It's a word. It's an empty condition. But we grasp it. And we see goodness as something that comes and goes in our lives. Or you you think a, a bad thought, a selfish thought, and then you feel guilty because you grasp the thought, I, I'm selfish, I shouldn't be. Good people aren't selfish. When you're a monk or a nun, you know, you, you can idealize you know, the perfect monk, perfect nun, full of metta and compassion. And that's how monks and nuns should be on the ideal level. The ideal monk, the ideal nun should be that way. But the reality of now is like this. So we've got monks here, nuns there, whatever they're thinking, feeling at this moment, 
is the way it is. It arises and ceases. Whether it's noble and unselfish, full of loving kindness and compassion, or mean and nasty, those conditions arise and cease. We don't choose them. We don't choose these these emotions or thoughts. They come and go according to conditions. But what doesn't come and go is awareness, mindfulness, consciousness, dhamma, ultimate realities here and now. And it is, you know, and when I first started having insights into, through meditation, you know, the self-view was so strong, this sense of, you know, I found anatta the most challenging concept because, it, you know, it was me that was meditating. My meditation, I'm concentrating, I'm being mindful. I'm reading books on Dhamma. My life, I'm, I'm become a monk. I'm a monk. It's full of, I am the, the conditions that I'm, that, that one is experiencing in the present moment. So it seems obvious. That's what the thinking process is. I think no one is feeling. There's feeling, but no one is feeling. That's a reflection. But feeling, isn't it? The sensations that we experience through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, emotions, sensitivity. This this is what we're experiencing here and now. This is an incredibly sensitive reality that, that we have to live with. The human form the sense organs, the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind constantly being challenged, impinged on by external conditions, arising and ceasing that, that we have hardly any control over. It seems impossible to, to, to find a way out of it because it's so powerful and we're so conditioned through the ego, through cultural conditioning, through religious conditioning, through social conditioning. And we believe, you know, what we think, that I am this person, I am this way. So that's why when we observe thinking, Because you can do it. Thinking arises and ceases. You can't, thinking doesn't feel anything. You have a memory and you think and then you have a feeling. But the actual thought has no feeling. So feeling 
you know, is this realm of sensitivity that we perceive through, through our senses. And then the Buddha's emphasis on mindfulness, this is the path to the deathless. So in the Dhammapada, the Appamadavamattapadang, mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Mindfulness is the way to that. What, what does that do? If we just, you know, if we never break through the the illusions that we create about ourselves and the world we live in, if we investigate it, and the Buddhist teachings are skillful means for investigation, we begin to see all conditions are impermanent. The faith and karani cha. That's quite, that's not difficult to observe, both internally and externally. What we see or see ob- objectively through perceiving through the eyes, or what we're feeling internally, what we're thinking, pleasure, pain, positive, negative emotions. And what is aware of change then? What is this awareness of impermanence? Is that is is it me aware of impermanence? Because the sense of me is also impermanent. But what is aware of impermanence is permanent. Is dhamma, in other words, ultimate reality. That's awareness. So dhamma, or ultimate reality, isn't something you don't have, but something you you don't recognize. It's what you don't recognize through the conditioning, the personality view, the ego, the cultural, social conditioning, the thinking process. So it's like, I found that Buddhist meditation was a real challenge. You know, Buddha's challenging us to investigate, not just take for granted the thoughts that we have, the views, the perceptions, because those are conditioned into us. We're not born with a self-view, with an ego, with cultural identities or social identities or with language like a newborn baby, is a conscious human form. Consciousness you know, when you think of what what is continuous from birth to death is consciousness. So can you remember when you were a baby, when you were born, when you were one year old, You know, you hadn't formed perceptions of self yet or identities. So you don't remember. You don't remember that you're British or Thai. We just assume, you know, mothers told us. My mother told me when I was old enough that I'm an American. 
So I remember that. So that that's a memory that I acquired after birth. But consciousness isn't memory. Memories arise and cease in consciousness. A newborn infant doesn't remember anything, but it's conscious. Pure consciousness with uh, that the human form of an infant is has been born into. So if I'm getting my point across, you're wondering what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, that, and that's the point. I'm not, I'm not trying to convince you of anything, just suggesting. Rather, try, not trying to figure out what I'm saying is right or wrong, but when I talk like this, I talk as universal consciousness. <clears throat> what is that, you know, what, when you hear me speak in this way, what, what are you feeling? You're interested or doubtful or is it true to the Theravadan Buddhist tradition or is it New Age philosophy or Mahayana? Is Ajahn Sumedho gone Mahayana or, <laughs> Is this kind of New Age Buddhism, Ajahn Sumedho Buddhism, or whatever you think? But the not knowing, this sense of wonder, listening, attention, this is this is the way to meditate. Not making decisions or figuring out or analyzing, but observing, witnessing. So we talk about the in Thailand they use the word jitta, consciousness. And then they usually point to the heart area. This is where you, we feel, you know, the physical, in the guts we feel emotions. And so instead of seeking Dhamma externally or Buddhism is some external thing or enlightenment is something you've got to get, and the way you see yourself in, in relationship to to monks and nuns, the way you perceive yourself as a Buddhist or not as a Buddhist, that's conditioned phenomena. You're aware of it. And so the main encouragement is to trust this awareness. Get to know it. Love this awareness, this state of attentiveness, of listening, not Listening to observing thinking, observing feeling. Being aware rather than becoming enlightened person. Because personalities can never be enlightened. You get to know, like, over all these years, I've observed my personality. It's not enlightened. It arises and ceases like all conditioned phenomena. So trying to become enlightened as a person, you won't succeed. Or you might fool yourself. Some people say they are enlightened. 
because they believe in their own thoughts. But that's not it. Enlightenment is here and now, awareness, impersonal. So, I'll stop here.